Okay. Yeah, we'll have to redo the intro. Hey everybody, it's Flail Forward again. It's Friday because it's Friday, and that that's 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 the agreement we all have with each other. Yep. Hello. Um apparently it's my topic this week because uh we didn't have a topic, and that means that uh and my desire to actually do something means that and have some type of plan means that I guess I'm in charge. Okay, so what I wanted to talk about is That's Cavoir, everybody. Yes, hi, I'm Kevoir. Um <laughs> I may or may not exist, which might make certain recordings of this more difficult to listen to. Anyway, moving on. Uh the the, the discussion uh, I wanted to bring up because I theoretically have words of, to say about it, and I think it's an interesting thing to think about, uh, is the significance of how you frame scenes and, and how you interact with the moving parts of a game and how it changes yeah, basically how it changes the flow of things and impacts the conversation. And I think I'm rambling. So if somebody has nope. any questions. Not yet. You're not rambling yet. Keep going. So if anybody has any questions, I'll answer them. And that might be more practical than me just going on. Okay, so I guess I have to keep going on. Um, no, I'll jump in here. So this is, this is Mark talking now. Hello, internet. Um, so... Oh. By framing, uh, I'm assuming that you're addressing the GM's role or the game rules themselves in helping game, establish. Game. This is since this is a topic about writing game. Uh, and since this is a podcast about writing games, this is talking about the game, how the game does it, and like what the game does, and how the game affects what what the GM says, not what a GM will do in a vacuum, because we have no control over that, as we've discussed on this podcast several times. Right. So, but perhaps even the the role that that kind of player agent has in the game and how your game uh, yeah. through rules can help create that sort of framing. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but just uh, saying things on a design level. It occurs to me that that might not actually be something that everyone thinks about, which is odd to me. So, okay. <laughs> the way you're defining this, I'm, I'm assuming I am not actually understanding this correctly because I'm thinking of the way you're saying framing. I would almost picture like how the the book itself describes like the setting the way the the game world is set up things like how you see like say white wolf games they have like a ton of these little short stories baked into them or the way how in shadow run books they they have like a lot of things which are um described to the player in the gm like how the rules work in character from a character in the setting That's, this is wrong th that is wrong but uh, uh, that is also an interesting topic that could be called framing oops i understand your confusion now but yeah no i was talking about um basically the impact of okay how does god how do i phrase this and 
Sorry. Okay. So basically, you do understand, like, it's different. <sighs> Sorry. My thoughts are not coming together in patterns that make sense. And I'm, I shouldn't have just gone on, on a topic that I wasn't prepared to explain. But I'm going to try to save my salvages. Okay. So basically, the significance of how, like, many filler words okay i don't know why i'm what's wrong with me today nothing this is normal yeah it's normal <laughs> uh anyway okay so basically it's different uh the, the thing i'm talking about is i guess it's a bit how the rules are portrayed but it's like how is this different than flow? Because it's very different than flow. Are, are you asked? Are you talking about where, as a designer, you are creating space for the players to do stuff? That that and how it encourages, like where it, yeah, where you place those latches and the significance of having those latches and what their shape like is. But that's not a useful thing to say because. <laughs> that's how it's that's how it is in my head but that doesn't necessarily translate to actual words that mean things hmm. so what i mean is basically <clears throat> like there is significance to you there's significance to doing things by god i want to how do i frame the Okay, so Ashes of the Magi is a giant session zero that expands on itself, and this is an intention in how it's played. This is a side what this is like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it's it's a okay. So you're talking about sort of a <clears throat> how the game is put together on a linguistic level, <laughs> such that. The it players understand engage in such that the players engage with it in a certain way rather than in a different way. So right. I was using a poor example because that's more of a flow thing, but there. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so 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 then you could say that the ashes of the magi, its framing is is story first. In a way, in a way that like a PPTA game is fiction first, yeah, and it, a way that other games are mechanics first. Yes, it, it's story first. Uh, part of the framing, another part of the framing is that uh, Ashes of the Magi uh, is about uh, is like part of its framing is it's framed in a, through a dark lens. It mm -hmm. in general with like there's intentionally specs of hope, but it definitely tries to nail the. It tries to be, have the aesthetics of uh, of a metal album, so you know, yeah, that's definitely part of its framing and how and it's and that the the metal album art is there to to invoke to make people interact with it in a certain way. And yes, Catrice was actually kind of right about the fiction about including large uh, short stories in the middle of your game text that does actually affect how people will play your game in theory. Although I. 
No, I think it does. I mean, it, yeah. it was definitely impactful in the in the White Wolf books when I first encountered them in the '90s. So yeah, I know. I, well, the reason why I, I'm explaining why I, I didn't immediately go, oh yeah, that's a good example. That's relevant. Is I don't think I have ever read through those short stories, and I feel kind of bad for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of them were okay. Yes, yeah, some of them are good, though. They, good. Yeah. There, there is an issue I found with some of those books that, like, uh, which one was it? I think it was one of the the mage games that I I looked through, and it was like the first game mechanic was on like page eighty four. Uh huh. It was like the first rule in That's the book correct. because it was just like yeah. dozens and dozens of pages of like short stories before you even got to anything that related to the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In oh, Mage, yeah, no, that's right. In Mage the Ascension, like like the first half of the book is dedicated to explaining the setting and like the different like so and and explaining the factions and stuff like that. So yeah, I remember that. I mean I have it over there. Can confirm. Yeah, that was that was really a weird way to set up just the book in general, but more than just the book, um, I think it kind of is slightly towards the framing thing, but I think that's more wrong now The with Gavar's explanation. I'm still not entirely certain that's on what me would count as <laughs> a framing other than like lenses like lenses, different... le lenses <laughs> it's like it's the interaction between lenses and mechanics and like it's something like game. rules aesthetic rules aesthetic is actually probably a better way to phrase it <laughs> okay. anyway that's actually a really that i just did not have that terminology okay so so this actually might touch on something that I've been... I haven't done very much of it in the book yet. I've been trying to get like the mechanics down before I started doing this, but I was planning to have a lot of little side, uh, side sections in the book where like the game mechanics would be described in character from one of the characters to explain like the idea of how it would actually look in play. Mm -hmm. Like that's definitely that a framing thing. Yep. I think that's exactly what Cavor's talking about. Yes. Basically <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and also like yeah. That and like the, the fact that it actually means something that your rules look like that, that actually affects how people uh, do play your game. You know what I mean? Just from the sheer psychology of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to phrase it better than that. I have actually seen something about that recently. There was a. There was a game that I was looking, or somebody had been talking about in our Discord channel here, actually. And specifically, they were talking about a game that laid out 
each of these different like things that the char characters could do but the way it was described was put out in it was it was done in basically first person for they weren't classes but they were essentially the classes it was basically like described from the perspective of not somebody that was of that class but it was somebody who was talking about that class mm -hmm. as if they had um encountered them as like say not an archaeologist but like a historian or somebody who's going around like basically uh and this framing it, it at first i really liked the concept until i started like thinking through it and it's like the way i i read through like a couple of examples and then i started like thinking to any other example i'd ever seen of it it always felt I'm not sure what the correct term for it would be. It, it almost felt like a self-masturbatory of like children's book somehow. Like it is like pumping, like that's really bad phrasing actually. But the idea like it being very much so that it's talking up about itself in such a way, but in, in a very simplified form. And it actually felt like every time I started thinking about like a game that I've seen do something similar, it actually kind of irritated me to the point that I was like, just the way that they had framed describing these, what were essentially classes, it, it actually made me not want to play it. And then I was like, oh. okay, I'm not doing that. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I can see. So I I use <clears throat> in in previous versus vastus. I use sort of like uh, those little fictional sidebar type things. I had I had ones where it was describing stuff from um, from different characters' perspectives. So sometimes it would be from like you know uh, one of the faded's perspectives, and sometimes it would be from the perspective of somebody seeing the aftermath of one of their combats you know where it would be like there there were hordes of undead and i hid and then like literally five minutes later there was a ton of noise and then laughing because like to them this is just like they, it, it was just a walk in the park like you know, it wasn't, it was something that like terrified me, but to these people, it was like, oh, this is, this will be fun. Let's do this. And so that, that's the idea that, that I, I, and the idea for, to include something like that is, is, is because I want to, um, I want players to realize the gulf between them and normal people, how normal people see them. Oh, yeah. Like that's yeah. totally fine. Like that wasn't, like just in case you're curious, it's not like the same sort of no i i understand but i'm saying i'm saying what i'm saying is i the reason i include stuff like there's 
there's ways to do the the insertion in such a way that you are capturing the thing you're trying to capture right because you're trying to capture like a sense of awe and instill that in the reader and you know you're doing that with somebody else's perspective but in order to do that you actually have to create a scenario in which that person would feel awe you can't just have them explain what it's like to like oh paladins are really cool because x y and z you have to do the show not tell thing right so uh, mm. yeah and, and so i hear what you're saying and i've read what you're talking about and the good examples of that that i read are are things like in there was um oh i'm, I'm struggling to remember the specifics uh but there was a piece of fiction in one of the vampire masquerade books i want to say it was like the third edition book or something like that um where it was from the perspective of like a ghoul's lover so it was like not the vampire's perspective not the ghoul's perspective but a a, a person who knew the ghoul and was like this is getting really weird and here's like here's all the things that are this person is doing that are freaking me out and i don't understand and they're, they're coming back with weird smells and i it was just building the it was just reifying more perspectives in the world right so like the more vectors you have on a particular thing like the more informed it is and so i think by having by including different perspectives and this is um, one of the reasons it's good to have a lot of different perspectives in your game is is because it, the world becomes more real. Like even when you have conflicting perspectives, or maybe even especially when those perspectives conflict, that was something I found kind of interesting about um, the World of Darkness uh, books. In that, in the night, it was cool reading them first as uh, a teenager or young adult in like the '90s and um sort of hooking on to the various clans or werewolf um sort of uh i can't remember what they were called were they called clans and werewolf i don't think so they're called something else anyway <clears throat> but sort of finding your personality and resonating with right. one of those archetypes um and well, well sorry I, yeah I, I think sorry not to interrupt your your story but i think that's exactly right uh the the idea of these different perspectives give the player or reader or participant context into how to view the world around them. And that's the mm -hmm. whole point of the framing, right? Is to be able to say, why do this kind of action or uh, what is the incentive or motivation, right? right. That's, that's my perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I think you're right. It, there's, because it, 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 it includes, it gives you the ability to play out greater motivations. But what was interesting about the White Wolf stuff was going back and reading it later um, and then reading their more modern stuff, I was struck by how consistent the earlier material was. Where it was like the gangrel were just a particular way and the gangrel were the gangrel and like they acted like, you know, they're like the savage, more animalistic guys. And they well, weren't really, they were more two-dimensional and yeah, uh, what i 
Yeah. I, I feel the need to say that it's auspice was the term you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, auspice, yes, that's right. Yes. I knew it was something I knew it was something weird like that. Yes, they also yeah. have uh tries for their sub societies, which yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Sorry. Yeah, no, thanks. But um but I, I think it's I think it's more interesting and it feels more realistic when an RPG presents conflicting perspectives within its within its setting or within its narrative because that you know we live in a world of conflicting perspectives so that feels real realist at least to me like when you when you have I really like seeing those settings where it's like there's you have like an event or um, uh, a group or even a character that like and then you have like three quotes and then it's like three totally different perspectives on that thing um yeah it's that it, that's what really works for me like so when i was putting together my my organizations i had like the, the town's po folk perspective on the different like two all the different perspectives sort of intersecting um and i was only able to do that with really like six parties because after that it got like insanely complicated uh but it it did kind of create an interesting web effect of of uh of conflicting viewpoints that the characters could take once they found like this particular cluster of um organizations to put that actually on the topic itself it actually makes a lot of sense be that this would be um more realistic in some ways but people don't always want more realistic games That's so true. if you have like two or three different perspectives where it's like well in this perspective this is blatantly obviously the bad guy they're they're pure evil they're absolutely horrible but in this other perspective they're totally justified in everything they're doing and they're basically a tragic hero instead mm -hmm. it's like sometimes you want games like that there are definitely some people in certain uh moods or whatever that you don't really want something that's going to be taking a realistic approach to things sometimes people really do just want i am the good guy every enemy that i come across is pure evil i am totally justified in murdering the shit out of them i do not have to question this yeah, I mean that's that's the, but that's that's the framing, right? That's the framing choices you're making as a designer. Yeah, is, exactly. Like, yeah. That's I was trying to drag it back on topic for that. That that yeah. is the point of the framing, like setting it up in a way that you are never in the wrong for you know, killing mm -hmm. the orcs because the orcs are evil. Like right. that corresponds to my definition of fantasy, by the way. That's <laughs> yeah. The 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 rob definition of fantasy which is the more the more stark the difference between good and evil the higher the fantasy yeah and i would actually say that to some degree i think the way dnd is trying to move away from the idea of like all the orcs are evil mm -hmm. like they're they're an evil race i think that might actually be cutting into a problem with their target audience because the target audience usually prefers to be like i am good period mm -hmm. 
So yeah, no, they, they, yeah, you're right. They they are in a sense undermining their one of their core concepts is that the, that it's a world of fantasy where you can distinguish good from evil, like with a with a spell, like <laughs> that's that's so high fantasy. That's that's not. I mean, that's a that's a zero or first level spell, right? It's just like I can tell who's evil. Wow, that would be super useful. Also, total fantasy because it's not like to have to have those as reified cosmic concepts is so our outside our reality i don't even know what our reality would look like if that were a thing like you could detect the amount of evil particles <laughs> in in a being uh because of where they originated and you know so like it, there's that's the fantasy aspect. And like when you're saying like, hey, it's weird to call races evil, like, yes, yes, it is weird. Unless it's fantasy. And then that's totally normal. In fact, that's acceptable. And the point is like you 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 are making a strong differentiation because you are engaging in drama, right? You're not this it's not real. Like you're you're definitionally engaging in drama and so you want the drama and the differences to be as stark as possible right. but that's fantasy that's like high level abstraction stuff but you're just embodying a high level abstraction at that point so it's they're they're when they're doing this they're making they're making a point and they're appeasing a certain market segment and i don't think we should have any illusions about that that's they're they're exploiting a market segment when they're doing that um and that is also exploiting a different market segment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The biggest yeah. issue I find there is that the market they're trying to appeal to is significantly smaller and mm -hmm. one that doesn't really like that type of game. They tend to play other games instead. It, so it's kind maybe. of weird to potentially abandon like your I... one. I would be very cautious about underestimating their research department, especially their, their projection and marketing department. They're, they're doing, they, they've been incredibly, incredibly good at penetrating mainstream media in the last five years. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but like they're, they're, they're huge on TikTok. They're huge. Like they, they have market penetration, like the likes of which I could not imagine 10 sure. years ago. And so they have some somebody very very savvy, who is is paying a lot of attention to market data and market psychometrics, and is making very informed choices. And so I think, you know, they're 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 doing, they're making a change to the game and they're making it consciously. But I think they're doing it for what they think are good reasons, and which happens to line up with. Um, what is what they're incentivized to do economically and i think that's carrying them away from a less profitable um more true to the core idea of fantasy concept and that's you know they'll that they'll either find a benefit or they won't i think i think what will happen is the gulf between that and pathfinder will get bigger <clears throat> And Pathfinder will become this like the fantasy game somehow, and D and D will become this 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 more 
sort of hyper, I don't know. It, 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 it's really doing its best to try and be a lot of things to a lot of different people. So it, it's trying to be hyper-inclusive, you know, across many dimensions. And so when you do that, like it does, it has this problem of like everything becomes sort of less stark and it's fuzzier. So they're going to run into problems or they could, I don't know if they will, but like that seems, I, I would predict that they would run into problems. Um, yeah, as they do that really odd to me because yeah. the framing that you usually get for the largest oh, possible <clears throat> I do want to say something also oh, sure. hang that thought uh, Sabrina's right the people who leave D&D often don't go back yeah or it's a guilty pleasure where it's like yeah there's <clears throat> the, the market share that, that they lose I don't think they'll notice when, by doing it but, yeah maybe see the issue I have is that like when when you're aiming for the largest audience, like the framing for any time fantasy has ever done well um, on large scale, it's almost always, with very few exceptions, been extremely black and white about like good and evil. Like you look at say Tolkien's works, the orcs are evil pretty blatantly they have not just it's not just evil that they represent they also represent like industry and destroying nature and stuff like that like the elves are supposed to be good even if they're kind of like stuck up and snooty about it but they're they're good because they're on the side of nature like they build their houses in trees instead of chopping down the trees kind of thing. Anytime you have like something that's fantasy that gets really popular, it's it, the only exceptions I've ever seen to that would either be comedy like Discworld where it can sneak in like the shades of gray being a comedy or it's something that the entire point of it is it's supposed to be dark gritty realism where uh you get something like say there's a song of fire and ice because mm -hmm. well don't grow attached to any character because they're probably going to die within the next book or season mm -hmm. So yeah. those are about the only two situations I've seen this work in. D&D mm -hmm. &D is not aiming towards either of those. So I'm not sure how this is going to work is my concern there. Like, I mean, if they killed themselves for us, I mean, yay. I, but mm -hmm. I don't want to have to con congratulate D, D on like shooting itself in the foot yeah i mean <laughs> it, it like i said it's trying to be a lot of things to a lot of people and that's going to pull them in a lot of conflicting directions and you know they are trying to have some sort of one kind of realism and another kind of cartoonishness and i think they're misplacing i i don't know i <clears throat> maybe 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 that's what people want people maybe people want um 
uh, real realistic uh, interactions uh, between peoples and cartoonish violence, which is what D and D can kind of offer. I think I think that's kind of what it it's offering at this point. That's its its niche is like genuine character cartoonish violence. That seems to be what it's trying to be. Uh, I will also say that D and D like. Yeah. You're you're hitting on something very important where it's trying to be a lot of people, a lot of things to a lot of people, yeah. because D and D's primary marketing is D and D is the only game. Everything else is a weird side project, no. so, <laughs> so it needs to be everything because it's the only game. So why wouldn't it be able to be everything? Right, it's the world's most popular, so it must be a lot of things to a lot of people. Right, I mean that's that's the reality they're trying to speak into being. When they say it, when they literally label things the world's most popular RPG, um, and they're right. I mean, yeah. they're not wrong, but I mean, th the reason it's popular is 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 it got there first. You know, in yeah. some sense, it was the big. It was the first big hit, and so its name is entrenched. But it's not it's not popular because it's hyper functional, or you know, like there it, it, its retention rate is good. Uh, and it has a good job. Uh, it does a good job of maintaining um, cultural currency uh, right now. I do actually think it might be the opposite. That yeah, <laughs> the way they frame it, that it is the one-stop shop for everything. It it is mm -hmm. the one size fits all. Yeah, that framing that they put forwards. Despite that it obviously isn't, I think that actually is working for them very well because when people do grow disillusioned with D&D, they basically go one of two ways, which is either they quit playing it entirely or they basically homebrew the entire game and change like literally almost every aspect about mm -hmm. it, but still ascribe it to being D D as for why it worked. Yeah. I mean, I think D D's true utility to the medium is the fact that it's a game designer creator. Yeah. Like D D has parts of it that are that are so easily fixable and obviously wrong that it's low hanging fruit, you know? So mm. it's it, it, and, and it's hackable. It's designed to be from third edition on it was designed to be hackable, right? Explicitly, pretty much. Um, and so, uh, there, there was this inclination early on to like design your own content. And I think that created like the current had a no small part, I think in creating the, not necessarily like the current batch of designers, but the, the sheer numbers of people attempting new designs that created a whole like new critical mass of cream rising to the top um you know what i mean like there's just so many people attempting game design that, that re more resources got built towards it and um there's you know there's markets for <clears throat> game design uh aimed podcasts and uh other things so like there's a critical mass of people like hitting like indie development status and there's um 
like itch.io is 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 a is a platform pretty much exclusively for game designers like patting each other on the back for designing cool games like that's rad but it wouldn't exist without a whole bunch of dissatisfied gamers <laughs> so, so i feel like i feel like dnd is like in, in no small way responsible for that because everybody has well it's responsible for the tabletop side the the, yes. the fact it was already the same thing for video games is its own yeah but the video game thing propagates so much faster so that's not yeah. like that that happens like with every wave of video games it's like the d and the, the 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 rpg thing has just been so much slower to take off because its propagation rate is so much or it was so much lower now it's i don't know it, the propagation rate might be the same uh yeah. experience rate might be different but the, the 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 memetic propagation rate i think is now matched and so that might be a bit generous <laughs> i think but that's <laughs> in in terms of one game dominating the space of a market well yeah yeah rpgs definitely have uh yeah it's anyway situation but to try to get this back to the topic mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah. framing the, I didn't mean the framing that had we had been on was like the framing of good and evil but you'd also mentioned like the framing of you know just silly cartoonish violence as well like that that is a very different uh framing device just in general because like you have like your it's not just cartoonish violence it's also the saturday morning cartoon villain who is evil because they're evil right which justifies you know cartoonish violence yeah yeah it, it's okay to completely do terrible things to this guy because he's the evil wizard and it's okay mm -hmm. to do that because it's an evil wizard that that's the reason so it doesn't matter if you're doing things that you know these would be war crimes in any other <laughs> oh oh the, some of the things we've done to evil characters in rpgs holy shit we would all be tried in the hague like they would just it would just it, yeah you'd just be like okay and so then then what what did you do with the hot iron how many orifices oh you made new orifices and put them in there okay that's great okay, amazing okay. Okay, before we get, uh, I want to talk about a different aspect of D&D's cartoon. Okay. Violence that is Maybe I took that last with... part a little far. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I, anyway, uh, what I'm talking about is, uh, it's actually rather significant to the framing of the game that, uh, like, how it handles what injury looks like. Like, in D&D, you have a stack of hit points, and it only matters when you run out of them. Mm -hmm. That's part of that... the cartoonishness. That's yeah, like, exactly. it's Tom and Jerry stuff, right? So it's like yeah, it's like yeah, you yeah. can you can hit somebody with a sword sixty four times before they to have any noticeable reaction to it, mm -hmm. and... or you can drop a barbarian at, at, off a building and have him hit terminal velocity, and you just like I yeah, I absorbed that. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. The the interesting part I find about that particular framing for like hit points is that every version of D and D frames the hit points differently yep yep 
but it but how they actually like work in the flow of the game is you know there's a big difference between this is this is hit points and this is something that and if you take a blow you, you have to write something down on your character sheet that is about the blow <laughs> so it no it it is interesting though that in some versions they'll describe it as like oh you're basically like giving up position like you haven't actually gotten hit maybe you got like a little a uh, little scrape a minor cut but nothing like actually major it's like flesh wound at best like the equivalent of a paper cut but it's not until you hit zero hit points that you actually get hit for realsies and then in other versions it's like yeah you're you're getting hit but you're basically more getting worn out rather than injured Right, and that definitely informs how the player perceives the like hit points or or taking damage and how they react to the game. I think that's a really great example of um, what your perception informs, because this this works both ways. Because um, you understand that your opponents or enemies are probably going to react in the same way. You engage with the game with that same level in. How not only how you perceive your character and what they're doing, but also all the other agents in the game, and how that impacts them. Uh, I think that's that's a really great uh, way of seeing framing being used to uh, identify how to play the game, or what it says about your your ability to interact. Yeah, I actually went out of my way to do to make sure to frame that in a very particular way myself for the whole hit point thing because it changes how you view everything about combat really like specifically just for a quick detour on that the way i'd framed it was basically there's the entire planet has like a global energy dampening field built around it so that you know, it, it enables this kind of combat. So when you get hit with a sword, if they basically cut your arm off, your arm is not actually being physically cut off. It'll go limp for a few moments. It'll basically feel like it's cut off. You'll feel the pain of it as though it'd been cut off, but it doesn't actually cause lasting harm. So that the people that are on this world, they're encouraged to get into these dangerous situations so that they can learn from them rather than being afraid of getting into dangerous combat situations because Mm. a lot of games especially like osr ones they tend to take the mentality of if you're in combat there is a very high chance of lethality there so you generally don't want to get into combat unless it's like the last possible ditch effort. Whereas I actually want it to be like a viable option, just not the only option. So it, it this kind of framing setup is important, I think, for how players will actually want to play the game, like whether they want to get into combat at all in the first place or not. Like if you have like, a framing of combat is really dangerous don't get into it 
it kind of changes how your character is going to react to situations in general across pretty much across the board. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, what's really important to say about this for the topic is if, if like your game, your, te- your rule, your like text says, oh yeah, combat's hyper lethal, all that. And it has the same, you can take 64 sword hits before you actually feel anything. That's, like the that is uh incongruous framing and it means you, you mean you're lying people... yeah you're lying basically, yeah basically if a game is lying uh that is bad is my point i guess uh-huh. I, I had a better way of saying it but it... yeah i've definitely played games that have lied to me about what things do uh this was a huge problem this was my biggest problem with um uh Oh shoot! What was the uh, that that the the most recent uh, Lord of the Rings RPG was the uh, the one was it the One Ring mm-hmm. from Cubicle Games? Anyway, um, they had this. Uh, we we played it. I, I got the game. It looks really cool, and there are still parts of it that I really like, and I think are really thematically juicy. Um, uh, what did I say? Did I say L five R? No, the uh, the oh, oh we just said L five R. Yeah. yeah, you said the one ring, which is okay. uh... <clears throat> anyway. Um, so, so in the one ring, there's this stat. They you have three major stats: mind, body, and heart. And uh, the body stat is described as the it makes you physically good at stuff, um, which is partially true. But it turns out <clears throat> that it doesn't matter if you're physically good at stuff if you have a low heart score because your low heart score is your fatigue, which eats shit when you travel, which is what the game is half about. And so if you don't have a good heart score, your body score, when you get to the place you're going, is going to protect you from critical hits and not much else. You're gonna, you're basically gonna suck in combat. And uh, it, it, to, like, Two of my players found that out the hard way, and so did I. Like, it was like, oh, whoa, those are the rules? That's, okay, fuck, that's crazy. And it was a total bait and switch from what the rules suggested the stat did to actually the most functional combat stat is heart because it, it, it gives you the biggest buffer on actually taking harm. And so, like that, but that's how they, that's like they sort of balance like the hobbits with high heart, right? So, like, they're not, that represents their resilience or whatever, but it actually, it makes you really viable in combat, provided you can attack in some way. Um, So, it's, it's, uh, it it was really frustrating. And, like, like the second session, we ran, it was like, you know, they had just had enough. Like, it was just, a bummer so but it's because the game did not really explicate well what the 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 second order effects of the stat not the action not the actual effects but the second order effects that you don't notice until you play the game a couple of times and you're like oh wow this this character it actually feels like really tissue papery somehow like why is my tank feeling tissue papery you know I I would put one interesting like you were saying that it was 
when the game lies to you. But I think there is a difference between when the game is actively lying to you and when it's just bad at what it does. Yeah, the, the, yeah sorry. I, I was <clears throat> counting non- unintentional misinformation as, uh, as lying, and that is, I guess, unfair. <laughs> I, I think it, it does matter because that is another type of framing in its own right, mm -hmm. that the sure. perspective of the players, if they think that the game, well, it's trying, it, it's not actively being malicious. It, it's just, it's not very good at what it does. Like, to some degree, they, the players do tend to forgive it a bit. If it's just not very good at it, it's like, well, we'll have fun with it anyway. We're just going to have to take into account that maybe it's, gonna need a little bit of help along the way to be fun whereas if the game is like actively lying to them and it's like being a jerk about it it's not lying in the sense that like paranoia lies to you uh -huh. but it's like yeah it's actively telling you like yeah you should put all your points into this hi you're an idiot why would you do that Right, like including the toughness feat in the third edition player's handbook. It's like this, this here's here's what this feat does. It's called toughness. What does it do? It gives you three hit points, which is, I mean, I there was there was a design philosophy behind including that kind of thing, and implicit in that design philosophy is lying about the valuation of certain choices. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't I don't think non-competitive games should do. I think yeah. I think it's fine for competitive games to do that. By the way, but where like a game is not encouraging competition between players and there's no hidden information and you're not making a contest of who can play the game better given everybody's on the equal footing like that's you know having having it's just it, i it just doesn't work as as a like lying about the valuation of certain moves so that the players can discover discover them implicitly not explicitly lying about the valuation of certain moves so that the players can discover what is valuable is a fine strategy if you're trying to determine who is the best player but if you're trying to engender a cooperative experience, it's, I think, prima facie stupid, but... Well, it's actively detrimental to that because if, like, to some degree, there is an assumption that, oh, well, the good player will tell, you know, the new player what the right. correct <clears throat> decisions are, and that way they're... they're they're teaching them and they'll form a bond in that way but it's like yeah but there's some no but in a co-op game that's called quarterbacking that's it's the yeah, opposite of what it, you want. it's also considered to be gatekeeping and a yeah. number of other things like and if you have a group of players that do not have that except one of them is good at figuring this kind of stuff out and the others are not mm -hmm. yep or some players just don't want to do that kind of thing. Like some players are like, I just want to do this neat character concept. And this other 
players like i want to do this neat character concept that happens to be really hyper effective mm -hmm. then you wind up with only one person having fun because everybody else is completely useless compared to the one player that's actually right. good i that's that's not just framing that one like that's not just framing it it goes beyond that into the actual game mechanics themselves being permissive of large dis power disparities between between the players in terms of their agency uh that's <clears throat> that's actually okay provide but the problem that i think that the indie tradition ran into was they made there was an implicit implicit within the class system was the idea that first level equal first level you know and second level equal second level and third level like no matter so like a 10th level fighter should be equivalent to a 10th level wizard right which was blatantly not the case mm. and and so there's <clears throat> there's there's an assumption on on the player coming into playing a game like that, that I can I can select any one of these choices and experience this game. And that's not the case. And if that's not the case, you have to be very upfront about that. Like, you know, something that I think I think 13th Age corrected about third edition was like. It was very explicit about the complexity of the classes. It's like, here's a low complexity class. It it you 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 do you do like three things, just pick one of these three things, and you know, there's certain ways to modify it, but like you're doing this, you're hitting stuff, you're a barbarian, you smack shit, you don't get hit, like the, you know, or you absorb hits, whatever, whatever it is. Or, you know, higher complexity like rogue and wizard, where it's like you need to be good at tactical positioning because that's the game the rogue plays or you need to be good at like you know keying spell selection to the situation which is what the wizard is so like those are higher complexity tactical decisions and strategic decisions and some players really love that shit and some players really do not love that shit and if you're going to cater to those people in your game both of those people uh you gotta tell them which is which because otherwise you'll have a bored fighter and a confused wizard and it's going to suck and your whole thing is going to suck so why would you why would you set up a rules system for a game where the point is to have fun not beat each other and make it so one of the classes is less effective it's fucking insane uh, and not be upfront about it one, so, of the, one of the things I think that's important there is... No, don't do that shit. Sorry. Just everybody out there listening. God damn it. Don't well, do that. Okay. One of the things I think that's important there is when you're playing a game that has like a lot of differences in terms of capabilities, like complexity, the style of gameplay, stuff like that. Basically, if you play the wrong class or the wrong character type, you're not going to have much fun. If you play the right one, you'll have a lot of fun. 
trying to hide that in such a way that the players have to do trial and error, especially given something like D&D as our example. Like, if you have to play through, like, multiple sessions of multiple campaigns until you find the thing that you actually enjoy about the game, that's a lot of investment you're expecting like potentially a hundred plus hours before mm-hmm. the player actually learns whether they like the game or not that's generally not a good idea like generally you want your players to know whether they like the game fairly early on mm-hmm. or at least hook them up with the the things that they will enjoy pretty early on so like things adding tags to classes or fighting styles or um whatever you tend to do in the game doesn't have to be combat related i think that's really important and in it it is its own sort of framing device as well for telling the players what they can actually expect out of the game, like the class tags as one example, is a particular way to frame, like, this is what you can expect to get out of this. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to frame things, right? At least starting out, I mean, does it, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Here's what to expect. <clears throat> You can expect uh, cartoonish violence. You can expect uh, you can expect these classes to play differently, but all be of similar efficacy. Or you could say, like, actually, these classes have different efficacy in different areas. And if you're going to be good at one, you're going to be bad at something else. And that's a totally viable design choice to make. But just fucking say so. All this comes down to is really just communicate to your players what how. The, the best way to have fun with your game, right? Yeah. Yep. M- most of the framing, though, comes down into how you go about communicating mm-hmm. that. And in this particular case, I actually think a lot of this should be standardized in games, either on, like, the back cover, like, you pick it up, you flip it over, it's like, okay, what am I getting myself into? Or mm-hmm. somewhere's within the first few pages of the book. Like, (coughs) this should just be a standard thing for, like, all games on any store page so that when they're playing a game, they know what they're getting themselves into. And we kind of mentioned this previously, like, God, probably, like, two years ago now or something. Like, when we were getting into the issue with... God, we've been doing this for two years. Oh god. Sorry. Carry yeah. on. Do you feel old yet? But anyway. No, I, I don't feel old. I'm mortal. But uh understand. <clears throat> I am also immortal. In fact, you're listening to this right now. I might be dead. And I'm sp- speaking to you. Isn't that cool? Neat. Yeah. <laughs> that is Open. But yeah, the the thing from like a while ago was the idea of on like any of these like itch.io pages or oh, what's the other one drive-through rpg 
was the other big one at the time, which was, it would be really great if we actually described the games uh -huh. in terms of the gameplay instead of the genre, because if you say science fiction, it doesn't tell you anything about the game. Yeah. Yeah. The closest we have to like genre tags on drive through RPG, uh, I think itch generally is slightly better about this, but not perfect because it's all customized. But it's like mm -hmm. they'll label like PBTA or they might or D20, and you're supposed to be able to derive what type of game it is from that, but that doesn't actually mean as much. It, like, it gets you like 75% of the way there, but that last 25% like really matters. <laughs> yeah, it can vary wildly. Yeah. You can you can have a narrative focused game that they used to see twenties. They sure. exist. Yeah, you can have a combat PBTA game. Yeah, uh, it's called Flying Circus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also have a game that uses a D twenty that isn't you know based on the D twenty setup. Yeah. yeah. That is also a, a very big difference because just because it uses a 20-sided die doesn't mean it's a, it's the same as all the other like D&D heartbreakers. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it kind of is, but in a very specific way. So at least yeah. I'm up to it. <laughs> I mean, it in the sense that like when people are saying like it's a D20 system, there's a lot of assumptions about how that actually yeah. functions. And like, if you look at something like my game, almost all of those assumptions are going to be wrong. Like if you yeah. say, well, it's a 20 sided die. It's like, it can't be that much different. It's like, then you're, yeah. you're not going to know what you're getting yourself into. You're going to have like a lot of expectations that are completely wrong. This is not setting you up for something that you may necessarily enjoy it. Like, you should be trying to explain to people what they're getting themselves into so that they can get themselves into the thing that they want to do. Yeah. That's, that's that very ideal. Yeah. Yep. I actually like uh, the, the ground itself. Like, that's a game that tells you what kind of what it's doing, but not really. And like, but I feel like it's actually useful. Uh, despite not explicitly talking about how it works, which is interesting. Um, but I'm not sure what I was, what my point was. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, is, it is going, uh, that game is going on my list of things. I'll, I'll, I'll suggest a one-shot chat. Uh, not the podcast, I just have a group where I run through one shots with the server icons a cat. Sorry. I'm gonna stop talking now. Did we um have we gotten to the end? Did anybody else want to say something about this? Uh, Wait, where, have we said um, we, we I've definitely said a lot about how not to frame things. Yeah, we haven't said anything about how to actually do it. Well uh I don't know if we do do we know how to actually do it well? Uh I know how do you do it well to get certain specific things. Uh, if you okay. want to give players agency, uh, like a uh, clear sense of agency, you make uh, that. Oh, God, how do I phrase this? Uh, you make sure that they initiate everything that turn every mechanical turn, like 
if they're initiating them, that th they clearly have the agency. Uh, anyway, uh, other things that are important. Um, if you want to make sure that the things are cogent with your design, think about their shape. That's not a useful phrase for anybody but me. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by shape, Kevoir? I mean the the shape of how of the of the flow as in is it like steady a uh, uh, very little variation like or does it have like clear yeah or is it like clear uh short bursts of activity versus uh a general rise up and rise down oh. uh <clears throat> sounds like you're talking about tensor calculus uh i I, uh, um, I'd be a better description. I'm sorry. Am I, did I hit the nail on the head there accidentally? Uh, you're not wrong, but also it's not good, very useful to uh, for me to phrase it like that. Uh, okay, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but Catrice, please say your thing because I think you actually understood something, and I'm curious. Yeah, basically, like a lot of times tension in like stories is described in the way that you were describing it and a lot of people would probably recognize that kind of concept like sharp jagged drop-offs and like sudden increases or more gradual like uh rising and falling or you know almost like circular patterns in some cases but you know the idea thinking of it like that it's probably a fairly easy way to describe what you were uh, trying yeah. to get. Yeah, yeah. but that's, it's weird. It's super weird because that's how I'm concepting the, I mean, it makes sense for the concepts in, in Ashes to be threaded. That's how the threads work. I mean, so they're, they're, they're <clears throat> so a buddy of mine's working on tensor calculus. <laughs> and uh, I was yeah. like, so I, I, I showed him Ashes. He's like, that looks like tensor calculus. And I'm like, what? And so he had to explain tensor calculus to me. Uh, and, and, uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then you brought it up and it's like, yeah, okay. So flow. And he, so one of the things he's using tensor calculus for, or proposing to use tensor calculus for is, um, hu human psychology behaves that way. Mm -hmm. It could be modeled as tensor flow as a tensor calculus which is yeah i just wanted to to make a point possibly clear uh, uh -huh. as far as i'm concerned uh blades in the dark uh wor uh works on a curve that goes uh starts like kind of it kind of at the bottom pulls down for a bit uh intentionally ramps up hits a hits a peak and then has a pretty steep drop off and weird lateral curve for the end. And I'm not sure that makes sense to anyone else. No, that does because I, I, I <clears throat> Ashes is uh, an ascending loop of triangles. Yes. And I was going to say uh, standard PVTA games are uh, basically line, basically heart rates <laughs> is the best way to phrase them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. And then there's uh, D and D uh, by design 
is kind of it's kind of like lines that go and that sometimes go like have a vertical curve up and then vertical curve back down. Uh, D and D I describe as a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a thrill ride, but like there's long periods of like straight track. Yeah. Uh, this is also I think another thing that you could add in for D and D is. It's also like a roller coaster, except the person in the seat next to you or behind you just reaches over and uh, they've got like a handful of nuts and bolts and they say, this just came off your chair. It's not quite that. That would involve tension. D&D uh, &D is a roller coaster, except, but the like uh god how do i phrase this i'm gonna get to a very specific point i am trying to emphasize yeah it, uh basically except for there's only one person who's actually on the part of the ride that's moving at once and sometimes and a lot of the time that person is the gm mm -hmm. yeah. yeah uh sabrina actually put it in a very good way that the tension is fake it is a puppet show of sorts like yeah. that was word for word what she was saying. And yeah. it's like, it, this is kind of true in a lot of games, but it's especially so for D&D because it's, it, it does very much so rely very heavily on the perception of things being a certain way rather than they actually are that way. Like so many uh, DMs in particular for D&D, uh, they'll they'll say like, well, sometimes I'll just start rolling some dice <laughs> just to get, get the players like worried about stuff. And it's like, this is pure metagaming. Like it, it's not the game actually providing any tension of substance. Mm -hmm. It's literally just mind games on the players because the game cannot provide it itself. Yeah, I know. It's it, it. I I have likened GMing D and D to being more like a stage magician, because it becomes worse once you know how it's done. Mm. Like what? You know what I mean? Like like being sitting in the audience once you know how the trick is done is like it makes. It's not even like you you can enjoy. Yeah, fuck. It's weird. Because different, it's 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 worse than stage magic. Because like even if you know how the trick is done, you can enjoy how good the performer is at pulling the trick off um, with stage magic. But with something like the way D and D's adventures and story structure go, it's worse than that. Because it's more like I realize that the stage magician has strings that's being pulled by a corporation. And like I'm not even getting the stage magician's best performance. I'm getting somebody else's somebody else's idea of what would make me happy, not the dude in front of me's idea of what would make me happy. So it's like it's one it's, I, the, knowing that, and then like playing through. Like I can't play through pre-written adventures. I just I just can't. Like I I start them and I'm like I immediately my brain is like oh, okay this is how this is gonna go. Like I, I, it's just, I've done it enough. Like I, there's, there's a paint by numbers thing, and it's like, okay, well, here's how you know. It just enumerates. Oh, there's 
here's the choices I'm going to be allowed to make. And here's the choices I'm not going to be allowed to make. And like knowing how that sausage is made actually wrecks the experience. Yeah. So it does, or makes it significantly harder. Let me put it, it doesn't wreck it. It makes it significantly harder. If the GM's really good and the GM can like modulate and like, you know, actually be good at being a GM, then there I can bridge the gap. But if, if, and I've been in situations where it's really, it's really painfully bad, where it's just like, this guy is just reading off the text. And I'm like, ah, I'm done. I'm out. Yes. Not, we're not even playing a game. I'm, you're just, you're, we're playing a choose your adventure book that you're reading to me from, and I can do this faster. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the yeah. issue with that is that this all comes down to player agency and mm -hmm. agency only works like if you actually have it or if you're not aware that you don't have it. If you if you ever become aware of the fact that none of your choices matter, everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. And like you can put like fake difficulty, fake agency, fake stuff like that into a game, but you cannot let your players ever know that they actually never had a choice. Like if you put like Here's a hallway with several different doors in it. Which door do you go down? Okay, we close the door off behind you. Doesn't matter which one you chose. They're all going to, to lock behind you and lead to exactly the same place. As long as the players have no way to backtrack and check to see what the other doors led to and find out that they were all dead ends, then it's okay. But if they ever do... Then you just invent something else to be there. Uh even though it was going to be the same thing before. Uh, well, you... if, if you're a good GM, yes. If you're not, right. and they find <clears> out, <throat> yeah, that is that is a huge problem. Yeah, your game should be designed so well that I can't tell if the GM is good or not. There you go, that, I said it. That, uh, let's... Nope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant that flag and die on that hill. Okay, go. good luck. Okay, I'm good luck. Not <laughs> sure if that's actually possible. No, but of course not. It's fucking impossible. It I... not only is that not possible, I feel like giving not sure if it's preferable in some cases is a way I put it. I believe like having a GM like giving the GM or analog some ability to be a showman or play to their strengths, uh in that field is actually a useful thing, but that's my personal preference. I mean, that's probably the forever GM speaking in me though. So who knows? Yeah, I think, I think overall, if you're going to frame your game in general, you should probably just as a rule of thumb, Make sure that you're actually truthful with everything that you put down, unless you're intentionally trying to add an air of mystery, as it were. And even then, be very careful with it. Like, um, Give me just a second. I have to check somebody's name. How do I? 
charismar jeez sorry like the way he set up the thing in his game where like you're um when you're talking about like uh reputation it's rumors and some of it's going to be inaccurate that's perfectly fine as like a framing device especially for like gm it's like okay you're the players are going to ask around town about people and stuff they want to know about like this tower that's out in the middle of nowhere it's like well they're going to get some information that's accurate and some of it that it isn't some of it may be true sort of but not entirely some of it will be outright fabrication see in a situation like that that does change like the perception of like the players a fair bit and also like how the gm is going to introduce information how they're going to provide it but most of the time when you're adding almost anything else into a game other than that you should probably be pretty blunt and truthful with the players about what you're telling them there's not too many situations where you want to deceive them even a little bit yeah yeah i mean the only i think the only time where it's mm, i don't know <clears throat> hmm. i think one of the times where it's justifiable is where you are are performing a magic trick and the, the 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 trick relies upon the deception but like that's it's the kind of thing that works once you know but mm. the the idea is that you're you're putting a feature like that into a game and this is this is a hypothetical i don't know i don't know if i don't know of a game that, that actually does this i mean legacy board games do but that's that's about it um it, it works in for the same reason though yeah, See, when, it does. when yeah. you're doing it as like a magician, it's like, I'm going to show you a magic trick. By this statement, I'm going to show you a magic trick. You are saying, I am going to trick you. I am going to deceive you. Mm -hmm. You still want to see me do this anyway, though. And right. you want to try right. to figure it out. That's That's part of the appeal is, I'm going to flat out tell you, I'm going to lie to your face. And you're going to believe me anyway. Right. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And it's the same thing in the legacy games, because it's like you are saying, I'm going to do this thing. It only works if you have not seen it before. This is mm -hmm. one time thing. I'm going to do this trick. Mm -hmm. There are spoilers. You're, yeah. Going, yeah. you're going in knowing this. Mm -hmm. And it's OK, because you know it. You are being truthful. You are telling them what they're getting themselves into. This is totally okay. Right. If they don't want to do it, then they won't play the game. So cop into the deception, essentially. Yeah. That's that's the idea. Yeah. Well, it's, it is the willing suspension of mm -hmm. disbelief as well. Like, right. it's like, I know that obviously you didn't cut the woman in half mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's like, but I'm going to go along with it just because, like, it's it's more fun to actually, you know, think that 
maybe they actually did cut her in half. Maybe <laughs> that isn't mirrors. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, whoa. Yeah, maybe, maybe the guy is a real wizard. It's fun, it's fun to believe that, like uh, it, it, as an audience member, it's fun to have have a, have a have an illusion so thoroughly presented that you're just transfixed and totally wrapped up in the fiction. I mean, that's when an RPG is going really well. That's 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 what people talk about the immersion, right? When you're totally in, when you're all in, and you really care about what happens next, and you're really interested to see where it goes. And I feel like there's a lot of games that set themselves up for failing in those moments mm. because there's 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 no there there there's it can't happen because there's something there's something else that intervenes yeah i kind of see mm. that Okay. I'm just trying to, I'm just now I'm trying to zero in on what that is exactly. I think it is just the agency thing. That's, that's probably the biggest, that's the biggest thing when, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's usually the thing that I've found that frustrates players more than anything. Or it's not even, it's not even necessarily agency in the sense of you know playing the game like your actions because you get the same thing in um like murder mystery movies for example or novels or whatever if you present like enough enough clues early on that if somebody is really good at piecing together information they can figure it out early and then they'll just keep reading to see if they're right or not. Like, that's totally okay. People like that. If you have the whodunit and you basically feed false information and the reader or the audience or whatever cannot figure out with the information you've provided what the correct answer is like it's not even just oh it's a twist ending it's an ending that's only a twist because i explicitly withheld information from you and then you mock them for not having figured it out despite that it was impossible to do so that just frustrates people a lot and it's not even like direct agency because they're not really playing a game they're not really able to to change the outcome of the movie or the novel mm -hmm. but it's that there's the agency sort of in being able to play the game of just trying to make the guess in the first place and if you can't even make the guess because the information's been withheld from you it doesn't feel good it it basically feels like they were cheating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> so framing is really important, so that the players don't feel like you're fucking them. 
Yep, it's also important for making your game feel different than other games that use basically the same mechanics. But I don't know how to get into that part of the conversation. Yeah, uh, I think that would be true. Like, just the way that you describe something does, like, perception is reality to a degree, especially when it's like a tabletop role playing game where your perception actually changes how the game plays. Like, changes you... which actions you'll take, changes uh, how your actions affect the fiction. Yep. It changes how accurately you follow the rules too, which other mediums do not have. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't <laughs> just choose not to follow the rules in most video games. Or movies. Yeah, yeah if you choose to not follow the rules in most video games, you're probably speedrunning it. There are some though. There, <laughs> there are some, like, you know, back when they first started adding like I think it was like Unreal Tournament added like mutators to to game like the first person shooter and it was like okay low gravity in this map like you're choosing how you break the game but you're still following the rules sort of but you're choosing which rules to follow but yeah it's like it's nowhere near on the scale of like tabletop games where you can just throw out like any rule even like core mechanics and just be like yeah not not gonna follow this i'm gonna do it completely different i would i do not think that the creators of fate or the creators of fourth edition dnd ever expected rob to play a game that was fusion of the two <laughs> uh, this is relevant to this conversation in my head <laughs> because yeah like, i mean i guess that's true I did yeah, do that. It's like, um, would never in a million years cross the mind. Like, not, not the designers. Yeah, I actually have. Yeah. We actually know that because he told us. Yeah. <laughs> <One> of, <laughs> yes. Yes, that is a thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and jo and Jonathan Tweet also said that I never thought that would work. So I actually have it from both designers. Good job. <laughs> what an amazing accomplishment. Uh, I know. That's kind of cool, huh? I never thought of that. But that's, that, 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 those things absolutely happen. Yep. Weird. Yeah, and oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, basically, uh, God damn it. I, I, I thought I was going to have more coherent things to say about this, given that it's 90% of my game design, but I <laughs> they're not coming together today. That's oh. okay. I yep. mean, just frame it different. Yep. Yep. Well, I think we've mostly covered the majority. <laughs> yeah, we're like, yeah. Not not really entirely off like i i think we could go on but we could drill down on everybody's on... kind of having issues thinking tonight yeah i'm sorry about that i think we just I, no no no. i think we just sort of like got to the natural the natural end of the topic because it's like yeah don't i mean it's a it's a broad and sort of obvious rule but like 
don't write your rules in such a way that you're it looks like you don't know what your rules do that's a big one yep and then, um, and, and and don't write your rules in a way such that um the players can't understand what they're supposed to be doing or 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 that you're being and i have actually seen this in rule sets in in not in I don't know that I've ever seen in a published game, but definitely in homebrew stuff, I've seen like purposefully deceitful rules. So, yeah. which were explained to me by the designer as purposefully deceitful. So that's how I know that. So, like, and I was like, well, why is that, that a thing? Explanation? It, was, it was the ivory tower thing. He's like, because he, he was trying to sort skilled players from unskilled players. Like that's he, his goal. His main goal was like, who gets through the dungeon, you know, and I'm going to lie about how the mechanics work because that's going to make it more difficult. Uh, what? Okay. Well, no, no. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. I, I have no further I know, explanations. I, I, I know. I understand that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. This was a topic that I came up that I forced on these people because uh they didn't they refused to make a choice. I should have done something I could talk about better. Good night everyone. It's night where you are, etc. <laughs> right. Also this is Rob talking and the other voice is Catrice. Yeah. And yeah. I'm Kevor. That's Kevor. We we establish I established that first. Yeah. Also I think we might have killed Mark. No I'm I'm here. I uh I tried like popping in and out with my mic and then we just usually had other things to say but it's, it's totally good um do you have anything you want to say before we get yeah, you podcast? Get, please, please uh, say a thing the uh, the last thing that i was gonna just try to add in was just um that i think all of this like discussion about framing uh there are multiple aspects that it touches but if you have a coherent design goal that it really streamlines everything because the whole point is to be able to tie things back together to that end goal of what your player experience is going to be like and why they're acting that way um so like taking even a step further beyond why like what framing is for it's really to drive that that experience um and being able to identify what that is in your game is going to help you identify the mechanisms by which you can frame the scenes and scenarios that your players are going to encounter so yeah okay that, that's a great Recap, and yeah, good points. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, everybody. Great. Thanks for listening. That was um. That actually was okay. Whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a choice. You are captive by virtue of the fact that you are still listening. And if you weren't, sure. then you wouldn't. Yes. Yeah. See, good topic. We already got feedback. That's a hundred percent positive feedback so far. <laughs> two, look, that's now where we're still at hundred percent with two, with two, uh, two feedbacks. Yep. Five stars. Rate I'm us on iTunes. I don't know. Do we have an iTunes? We have. We have an iTunes. It's been going to iTunes. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was that squeak? Uh, it was a country squeak. The, so, yeah. Do you edit those out, or do you just keep them in? I don't no, know. I keep them. No, I can't. Okay. <laughs>
good. I don't know how to get to our iTunes like dashboard. I I can find like the podcast on iTunes, but I there's as far as I can tell, I can't do anything with it. Okay, that's that's worrying. But uh, we should we should have Craig leave and we should end the stream. Oh, that's a good plan. Let me uh, let me do that. Good night, stream. Good night. Uh, where's Craig? What the fuck? I put him in some area. Dumpster fire. Do I have to put it in the same thing? I don't, do I? I just put it from anywhere. Yeah, you, yeah, you can do it from anywhere. Oh, so I already do it? Maybe.